0: NPR.
1: Here lies Credit Suisse, a Swiss bank that was with us for 166 years until it met its demise this past weekend in a forced sale to its rival, UBS. Credit Suisse will be remembered as a global financial giant, which financed everything from railroad companies to tech companies. A bank beloved by both the very rich and the super rich. But Credit Suisse was also a troubled, some might say troublesome, institution. Plagued by scandals, bad investments, and most recently, a bank run. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Adrian Ma. Today on the show, we'll talk with journalist Alice Fullwood about how this financial giant grew so big and why it fell. Apply today at babson.edu slash msleader. Alice Fulwood, Wall Street correspondent for The Economist and co-host of its Money Talks podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank
0: you so much for having me, Adrian. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Is there an analogy or a metaphor in your mind that gives people like an idea of what Credit Suisse stands for in the world of banking?
0: You know, I think if if you'd asked me that like 10, 15 years ago, I would have thought that it was like one of those secretive Swiss banks that looked after a lot of rich people's money. So it was sort of one of those elites of the banking world and um, that it Mm. sort of in particular catered to sort of the the wealthiest.
1: Uh, So it's like they have like different tiers of credit cards, like gold and platinum cards.
0: Yeah, so it would have been like, I don't know, like the Chase Sapphire Reserve or like one of the like fanciest American Express credit cards, I guess. But over the past sort of more than a decade, its sort of reputation has really taken a a pretty terrible hit. Um, It sort of became the, the problem child
1: of global banking, really. Okay, but before we get into some of those problems, I asked Alice to talk about how Credit Suisse made its money.
0: It had its retail bank, which was where it sort of collected deposits from sort of regular Swiss people. It had um, its big sort of wealth management arm, which looked after the sort of assets of of wealthy um, people all around the world, and it also had its investment bank. And in in general, sort of most of the really big, systemically important sort of global banks um, were formed in this way uh, during the sort of heydays of investment banking and banking in general, uh, sort of that ran all the way up to the 2008 crisis.
1: Now, now Credit Suisse survived the crisis, but Alice says the years that followed were sort of the beginning of the end for the bank. And during this time, there were three main trends playing out. First, there was the fact that interest rates in Europe were really low for a long time, which made it hard for Credit Suisse to make money on the sort of bread and butter lending it used to. Second, its investment banking arm made some spectacularly bad bets. Investments that blew up in its face and lost the company billions. Third, and maybe most notoriously, the company was plagued by scandal.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's funny, there have been so many uh, scandals that it's, it's hard, it's hard <laughs> to know which are the sort of biggest and, uh, and most important to mention.
1: Well, how about the time that Credit Suisse hired private detectives to spy on a former employee? Or the time that some of its wealthy clients were revealed to have connections to human trafficking and corruption and money laundering. Or how about the multiple times it got busted for helping its clients avoid taxes? Now, despite all this, Credit Suisse survived. That is, until this past week. So what happened?
0: It seems like the sort of various scandals and reorgs and, and and problems that Credit Suisse was having essentially eventually led to the sort of total loss of confidence of its shareholders uh, seems to have been the sort of potentially fatal blow. So on March 5th, uh, Harris Associates, which was sort of one of Credit Suisse's biggest shareholders, sort of stuck by it through all this, the scandals and restructurings, um, they announced that they had thrown in the towel. Um, then obviously sort of a few days later, you had um, the run on Silicon Valley Bank and the failure of, of that bank in the US. Um, and a few days after that, the uh, Saudi Arabian Investment uh, Fund, which is Credit Suisse's larger shareholder, said, we're not giving you any more capital. We're, we're done.
1: They're large shareholders. They looked at the company and they were like, you're cut off.
0: They sort of finally threw in the towel and said that they had to try and sort of make it on, on their own, I guess. And, you know, it transpires that they they probably couldn't. So now they've uh, had to be sort of forcibly merged uh with with UBS, uh, Switzerland's other other large bank.
1: Can you tell us about that so like that happened over the weekend? Um what happened there?
0: Yeah, so it's uh it's sort of fa- fascinating uh deal that was put together and sort of full disclosure for uh for your listeners. Uh I did actually work for UBS uh for uh, for a few years after I graduated. Mm. Um yeah, so so UBS and Credit Suisse were like the sort of big rivals of Swiss banking. They were the sort of two massive uh, Swiss institutions. They had, you know, both had huge wealth management businesses, huge um, retail deposits. And um, essentially, it's been described as sort of a shotgun wedding. Wow. It It's been sort of long rumored that they might merge. And both banks have sort of vehemently resisted um, the idea uh, that they should be sort of fused together. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But, but essentially, what you saw from the Swiss National Bank over the weekend was them sort of thinking that this was the best uh, possible solution to restore confidence in the sort of Swiss banking industry. And so in order to arrange that deal, UBS is going to pay Credit Suisse shareholders sort of a, a fraction of where the, the bank was trading on on Friday, uh, but about sort of $3 billion worth. The Swiss National Bank has sort of agreed to help UBS bear any of the losses um, that it makes if um, it has to sell off some of sort of Credit Suisse's businesses. So uh, it's agreed to sort of put up um, a maximum of, of 9 billion Swiss francs, which is sort of uh, just just shy of $10 billion to do that. And it's also going to sort of provide uh, 100 billion Swiss francs of, uh, of liquidity. And yeah, eventually, sort of after, after years of, of rumors and, and rivalry, uh, the two banks uh, will merge.
1: So that is, I mean, it's so interesting knowing now... That context of them being rivals, it's like almost like hearing that Coke bought Pepsi, or was, or maybe that Coke was forced to buy Pepsi.
0: <laughs> if Coke bought some sort of very poorly run little brother of it, I don't know whether that's Pepsi, but uh, some other sort of soft drink company that's uh, really had a, having a rough go of it.
1: Now, now it's worth noting here that if forced sale was not the only option here. For one thing, Credit Suisse held about seventeen billion dollars worth of these things called contingent convertible bonds a.k.a. cocoa bonds. So these types of bonds came into being after the Great Recession, and they offered a really high interest rate to bond investors, which was because they were riskier. And the idea here was these bonds were essentially an emergency life vest for the bank. When, when a bank is crunched for capital, they can redeem the bonds to get out of that crunch.
0: These are often called bail-in bonds um, in the lingo because...
1: Huh, Are supposed to bail out bonds?
0: Correct. Because instead of policymakers having to step in and bail out an institution, they are supposed to be able to essentially bail themselves out or bail themselves in by wiping out these bondholders. And so the first line of defense when a bank appears to be bust is that it sort of wipes out these cocoa bondholders and and gets to sort of keep, keep the money
1: itself. So why didn't it? Well, Alice says the worry for the government's part was that if Credit Suisse deployed this emergency life vest and it did not stop the sinking, that could spark more panic in the banking sector. So policymakers, out of caution, pushed UBS to instead buy up Credit Suisse. Now, another thing that is unusual about what went down is that you have a company, Credit Suisse, essentially going under. And normally, when a firm goes bust, company shareholders are the first to get burned, But in this case, the shareholders will at least get partially compensated while a bunch of Credit Suisse Cocoa bondholders are getting nothing. So, like, zooming out from this particular moment, what do you actually think we'll think about this Credit Suisse situation months from now, years from now? Will we even think about it?
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely think about it. The sort of really big bank mergers of the past have been either... The sort of making of or the undoing of a lot of institutions. So I'm sort of fascinated to see how, how the deal plays out. It's going to be hugely memorable either way.
1: Alice Fullwood, Wall Street correspondent for The Economist, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Viet Le and Noah Glick with engineering from Catherine Silva. Dylan Sloan and Noah Glick check the facts, Kaken & Cannon edits the show, and The indicators of a production of NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Greenlight. Want to teach your kids financial literacy? With Greenlight, kids and teens use a debit card of their own, while parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and savings in the app. Get your first month free at greenlight.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas, and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR.
1: I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln?